From Square Two, this is What's Wrong With Revenue. I'm Mike Lieberman, CEO at Square Two, and along with my longtime friend, Eric Kalis, and co-founder at Square Two and six-time entrepreneur, Eric and I will answer the question CEOs have every single day, what's wrong with revenue? You can be part of the Livecast show where we'll answer your questions every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, or catch the show on demand on YouTube and on all your favorite podcast networks. Also check out all our audio and video content on Square2 Plus at the square2marketing.com website. Enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome to What's Wrong With Revenue. I'm Mike Lieberman, I'm joined by my co-host and longtime friend, Eric Kalis. Thank you for uh, putting up with our change in schedule. Even the best shows are uh, uh, up on different days from time to time due to scheduling. So we appreciate you guys moving with us from Wednesday at 4 to Thursday at 3.30. We'll be back Wednesday at 4 next week, like we have been for the past 54 or so shows. So um, before we get into it, uh, let me remind everybody, if you're interested in what's wrong with revenue, check us out on the Square2 Marketing uh, YouTube channel. You can subscribe to the show. You can like the show. You can give us comments as well. We love hearing how people feel about the show and the content we're producing. You can also check out the show on Square2 Marketing's free streaming service, Square2 Plus. Go to square2marketing.com backslash square2plus. You can subscribe to Square2 Plus for all of our audio and video content. We have channels for CEOs, CROs, CMOs, and we have a technology channel for everything. HubSpot as well. If you want to check that out there, go take a look at it. And if you love the show, we have a What's Wrong With Revenue page on our website. Go to the bottom of the site. There's a link. Click on it. You can submit questions. You can subscribe to the show. We will email you the show in its final produced version every day the following morning. So you can get it right in your inbox and you can watch it on demand. It's all good. Today, we have an awesome show planned for you. Uh, specifically, we want to talk about what's wrong with revenue. You need a system to drive consistent revenue growth. Eric, I know this is a uh, favorite topic of yours, but I'm just curious. Systems are everywhere in business. I mean, some of the best run businesses lean heavily on systems and processes to help them scale and grow. Revenue is really no different, but as far as I'm concerned, and I'm sure you'll agree, there's hardly any companies who look at revenue and think system. I'm just so curious as to why that might be. If they want to grow their businesses and scale it quickly, we really should be thinking about looking for or creating a system for marketing, a system for sales, a system for customer service, better yet, a system that the entire revenue ge generation effort can be nicely tucked into and packaged around it's going to give everybody the best possible opportunity to drive month over month, repeatable, scalable, and predictable revenue growth. So this is such an important topic. We're not going to do any questions today because I really want to lean into this particular topic. Why are there no revenue generation systems? And how can companies start thinking about what a revenue generation system might look like? What might be required to build one for your business? Who would be responsible for this in the company? Uh, what kind of long-term value might be produced by having a revenue generation system? And what might be some of the pluses or minuses of doing this yourself? We're trying to find an existing system if one even exists. So this is a huge topic, critically important. Before 
I, I turn it over to you for your opening comments. I just want to uh, reflect back on a conversation we were having internally just a few hours ago and how everyone is really in, in marketing specifically, but I think in business in general, a lot of people are talking about how the old playbooks are broken. And what, what we used to do a couple of years ago to generate leads and turn those leads into new customers and take care of those customers, it's not working like they used to for a variety of reasons. That's a, a topic for another show. But given that the old playbook is broken and people are searching for a new playbook, maybe you could kind of talk a little bit about how thinking more system, systematically about revenue generation might be a little bit of the new playbook. Yeah, it really is a big topic, Mike, and something that, you know, today is uh, being bannered around by lots of folks trying to figure it out. I think if you go back to the beginning as to the why there's no system is because it comes down to two basic areas, legacy and fear. The legacy part is that businesses always look at sales as some sort of art, not a science. You have talented salespeople. They know how to reel them in. They know how to close the deal. Well, that might have been true before the internet where you actually needed a salesperson as the sole source of information on the purchase of a product or service. And they had to answer your questions and educate you and take you through. But the internet has replaced a lot of that. In fact, 80% of the buying process is done before you ever get to a salesperson these days. And nobody likes to be sold to, but they do want someone to guide them through the last few stages, answer questions, do the paperwork, hold their hand and so forth. So I think there's a lot of legacy thinking involved in what the salesperson's role is, which is why um, there's no system because they're just like, find some rock stars and let them do their thing. Kind of adjacent to that is the second point, which is fear. I can't tell you how many times in a workshop I've said to the audience, raise your hand if you have more than 10 salespeople and a bunch of people raise their hand. How many of those 10 salespeople hit their monthly quota? And some people say four and some people say six. Nobody says 10. And I say, well, what if you got rid of the lowest performing salesperson and took their $100,000 a year salary and rotated that into marketing so you could generate qualified leads to benefit the remaining nine? Well, I'm not going to fire my salesperson. I mean, Tony's been with me for 17 years. I can't get rid of him. Or... Salespeople, I can't mess with them because I'm scared that they will mess up my revenue stream. They're really in charge of making it rain, blah, 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 blah. And it just does not fit for the way we are in 2022, 23, with the way people want to buy, how businesses work. And I guess as my final comment, there's a lot of different parts of the business. Everybody has an accounting process. First, we do this, then we send the invoice, then we collect it, then we post it to our general ledger, blah, blah, blah. Everybody has a marketing process, right? Uh, sorry, a manufacturing process. We buy the machine, we set it up, we crank it, we oil it every 30 days, we fine tune it. Everybody has an HR process. We put out an ad, we go through the people, they have to go through three interviews, they have to do a little test, and then they uh, get hired and so forth. For some unknown reason, marketing and sales has been left to winging it as opposed to putting it into a tried and true process that companies use. And I'll give you a quick example. Our company is an EOS shop, the Entrepreneurial Operating System, founded by Gino Wickman about 15 years ago. And there's a process to run your entire business. But yet somehow that little nook of sales and marketing has been um, allowed to run free and wild without any kind of processor system up until today. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right. Like the art comment is is 
resonates with me because, you know, especially marketing, it's, it's historically been looked at as an art and not a science, you know, CMOs really never really were accountable for much other than kind of, you know, making stuff look nice and getting things out there and doing brochures and websites and, you know, a certain amount of PR, if that was, you know, one of the tactics you were running. And then I guess probably, I guess HubSpot probably really started this. So that would be 2008, 2009. So roughly 10 years ago or so, they started actually giving tools that made marketing quantitative. You could actually see the performance of the marketing and that kind of changed things. But while that was changing, so was the availability of tools to the point where now everyone has kind of inundated everyone else with all of these digital touches and have, have kind of exhausted the world that they're trying to actually engage with, right? We are all exhausted by our email boxes. We are exhausted by our phones that people are now texting us to try to get to us because we're not responding to email. We're, you know, uh, we're just digitally exhausted. Uh, and, and that has been going on for a while. And instead of really looking for a different approach to this, people have just leaned in more to it, send more cold emails, make more cold phone calls, you know, like send things to people at, you know, at their offices, like just, just lean into the old playbooks as much as they possibly can. And now they're wondering why they're not getting results. And uh, it's fascinating, actually, why marketing and sales have kind of evaded the the concept of a system but i guess no one's really needed to put systematize it because it kind of worked okay up until recently and to your point no one really knew what marketing was doing so let them do what they're doing the salespeople seem to be doing fine let them do what they're doing but no one can really kind of like fly on their own anymore without some and, and every business wants to scale and how do you scale you, you install systems. So it, it's still shocking to me that this hasn't really gotten around to sales and marketing or should, revenue actually is a better way to look at it. It just hasn't really gotten around to revenue um, until recently. And, and even now it's really not that significant. It's something that people are kind of starting to talk about. I, have, I haven't really seen any you know systems like this rolled out to any of the people we've worked with. No one's talked to us about having something like this. So I think it's still very early to start looking at revenue from a systematic approach, but it's, it's now time. Definitely. You know, we're very immersed in the entrepreneurial community. And if you're not using EOS or scaling up or a strategic coach or your own version of that, people are like, how could you run your company without a strategic planning function? But yet nobody says, how can you run your company without a revenue uh, generation system? It doesn't even make sense. They don't. They just basically say, well, get more leads or hire more sales reps. Like it's so like, glossed over and glib, you know, in terms of what the answer to your marketing and sales related issues are, um, as if that was so easy, you know, like hiring salespeople is actually the worst thing you could possibly do today. Um, you know, if they're not calling on the right people, if they don't know what they're supposed to be doing, they're literally like stumbling through the forest, hoping to fall on a prospect that might turn into a customer. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, if, if we were, I'm not saying we are, but if we were, uh, going to help someone with a revenue generation system. What are some of the things you think might be included in it? 
Well, I think that there's two parts to any system, right? There's the methodology behind it, and then there's the actual execution of it. So in the methodology, you have to follow the tried and true ways. And I don't care what your freaking tools are these days, methodology about how you connect with someone, tell them a story, engage with them emotionally, uh, embrace them into your database, nurture them and turn them into a sales opportunity will remain the same. And if anybody's listening to this in the year 21-22, I'm pretty sure it's going to be the same but with a whole bunch of new tools, right? So there's that part of it. Then the second part of that is the execution, right? What are the re meeting rhythms? How often do you look at data? What is your bandwidth for getting how much done each month and how do you prioritize? Like those execution things are important too. Nobody's like, hey, um, our manufacturing machine puts out 100 widgets a month. Let's see what happens if we crank it up to 300, right? No, it doesn't work that way. There's certain limits and there's only so much capacity. And at every, every you know, uh, 100 hours of runtime, you have to put a little three-in-one oil in the joint or something like that, right? So that's the same way of looking at marketing. There's a certain execution and milestones that have to be established. And Honestly, just like EOS or the entrepreneurial operating system works for any company in any industry because it's a framework, the same thing should be with revenue generation, sales, marketing, put it to a framework. This is how it goes. This is what the monthly rhythms are. This is what you look at. This is what you improve. This is what you add. This is what you subtract. All of that is very, or can be very systematized. It can. And lots of times when, when uh, companies come to us and their questions generally pretty straightforward, like, we can't grow. We don't know how to grow. How do you, how, can you help us get more leads? You know, we, we, we want to have a more um, uh, steady up and to the right as, as far as revenue is concerned. Or, or maybe they even say, like, what we've been doing isn't working or what we've been doing. We need to be doing something different. And then we start talking to them about what they have been doing. It's a very similar story from that point forward. We identified that they're missing something, right? They, they could be missing a big story, which happens a lot. They have a very kind of generic or general story that they're putting out there. Um, we have the they best could people. Be I'm sorry? We have the best people. We have the best people. We've been around for 40 years, right? <laughs> right. I mean, it's not like that's bad, but it's just not enough to get someone's attention, right? And look, we've seen it so many times. We know why people do that. You do have great people and you have been around for 40 years. And, and, and to you, it seems like what makes you special because you've been doing it for so long. You know more than everyone else. Your people are really good. They know more than everyone else. But what you don't maybe understand is that your competitor is saying something similar. So while it could be true, it's not helping the prospects figure out, well, who do I want to work with here? This company's been around for 40 years. This company's been around for 34 years. Like they're both good. Like there's no difference there. So, you know, that could be something that's missing. And honestly, it's such a complex set of things that have to fire simultaneous that when we start to look at clients' program and what they've been doing, there's generally a lot of things missing, right? They might not have the right technology platform to, to get the right data out of it, like Eric was saying earlier. They might not have the right people to do what's needed today. You might have someone that you love who's been with you for 10 years, but you know, maybe she doesn't have the skill sets that you need today to create content and position the company differently. Um, you, you might not be running campaigns properly. You might, you might not be running a sales process that's aligned to how you want to market the company or how people want to buy. And that's not even getting into whether your product is the right fit or you have a, an addressable market that's large enough to get you to your goals. 
you may have underfunded your effort, right? You may need a thousand leads a month, but you're only funding and investing in marketing and sales to support 200 leads a month. But, you know, there are so many things that could be missing that, again, the systems approach to this quickly identifies what you have and what you're missing and then fills in the gaps with what you're missing. So in the end, you have everything you need, just like Eric's, Eric's um, uh, um, machine analogy is so brilliant because so much goes into keeping that machine running. You need an, an expert in that particular machine to keep an eye on. You probably need a couple experts, depending on how many like, like uh, shifts you're running. Um, you need the manufacturer to be helping you because sometimes you might be asking the machine to do something that you're not sure it's capable of doing. You have to maintain the machine. You have to replace pieces of the machine so it doesn't break. Like there's so much that goes into that. Anybody who's running a large manufacturing plant would be like, yes, I'm the, I'm the, there, there's a system for this entire factory where many machines are running simultaneously so that the output is our widget, right? It's, it's a complex set of ex executables that a, a bunch of people are responsible for making sure it runs flawlessly reduce that widget. It's the same thing with revenue. And there are so many places where the system could break down that you need to be able to identify it, fix it, and then maintain it and keep an eye on it over time for it to work like I think people are expecting it to work. 100%. So um, we uh, I asked you, what does it look like? But I know we, we've been talking about this and there are really four pillars to this revenue generation system, right? So we, we think this system needs to have areas that focus on strategy, which we've talked a little bit about, right? Like you gotta have a big story, you gotta be differentiated, you gotta understand how much this is gonna cost you and what your KPIs are. And you know those kinds of things have to get kind of thought out up front. Then you need the tactics that are going to introduce your story and what differentiates you to the people you want it to introduce it to. So Different companies use different tactics. Not every tactic is right for every company. Some companies are going to shows. Some companies are doing it completely digital. Some companies are producing a lot of content. Some companies are not. Some companies have a good website, a bad website. There are, there are many, many, many types of tactics that you would have to sift through and decide which ones are appropriate for you. Why don't you talk a little bit about the campaign piece of it? Because that's also where we see a lot of people with broken systems, like they, 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 maybe their strategy isn't perfect, but they have one, and maybe they're executing some tactics, but the the campaign piece of it is just not where it needs to be. Well, for everybody out there who wants to generate more revenue, there's two ways to do it: sell stuff to your existing clients, or go find some new ones. Right? We won't talk today about selling stuff to your existing clients because uh, that's not about a marketing and sales program, right? That's more about cross-selling and upselling. But when you're looking for new clients, you got to go out there and get them. Now, the old way would be to cold call, right? Pick up the phone, send them some email, interrupt them in some way. In today's market, you have to have campaigns that are introducing your big story to the right people. And the mechanism in order to do that introduction is the campaign. A campaign could be as simple as a referral marketing campaign, right? How do I activate my existing clients to tell my story to their friends and family members and introduce them to my company? I could go demand generation, go very wide, create a lot of different content that I put in the right places that I assume my target market is visiting and want to engage with. 
or I could go very narrow account-based marketing. Here are the 500 companies that I really want to work with and I'm going to target them. And that I could do in a variety of ways under that subset. I could do paid advertising on LinkedIn to focus on those people. I could drop them a box in UPS and follow it up with a phone call. There's a million different ways. Then there's even like a wake the dead kind of campaign. Hey, we have a database of 10,000 people over the last 10 years that bought from us. Let's do a campaign to those people to wake them up and get them to buy because either they left us or they're using our competitors. The problem with campaigns or the challenge with campaigns is that if you're going to go out there and you're going to spend the time and effort to introduce yourself to people that don't know you or might need you, and you have a bad strategy, aka story, and you have bad tactics, a 1973 brown and orange website, the system breaks down. So in the first two that Mike mentioned, strategy and tactics, they have to be stitched together seamlessly with the third is campaigns. And then I'll just quickly dive into the fourth, which is the technology bucket, right? In order to do today's marketing and scale and replicate what we're doing, automate a lot of things without spending money on more manual people, got to have a little technology, HubSpot, Marketo, uh, Keep. Those are all tools that you might want to consider in order to automate and scale this whole thing. But the key thing is that if you're doing one of the four, two of the four, or three of the four without the fourth, you're incomplete. There's something missing. And that's why people don't understand when they just jump in and do a bunch of random acts of marketing that they're not going to get the results they're looking for because it's not systematized into those four buckets, strategy, tactics, campaigns, and technologies. They all have to work together. They all have to be interdependent. They all have to be analyzed to make sure that they're optimized and orchestrated. And finally, then will you achieve the system you're looking for to create the consistent revenue generation for your company? Yeah. And just to add on top of that, it's, it's even worse because like we were saying earlier, like, you can't just email people, right? We, we're all, the, the email box is no longer as effective as it used to be. So now you have to really think around your campaigns much more uh, creatively. Like, what are we offering these people? Why should they care? You know, asking for five minutes to talk about something uh, in a set, you know, no one's taking that bait anymore, right? Um, sign up for our email newsletter, subscribe to our blog, come to our event, you know, those kinds of offers inside campaigns are just not moving the needle like they did four or five years ago. So, you know, to, to lean into this campaign concept a little more, it has to be much more creative. You, you have to be, you, you have to not only stand out with your big story and execute the right tactics, but when you get to the specific outreach to the people you want to talk to, you have to offer them something very compelling so compelling that they could not possibly ignore it or delete it or pass it on to someone else. And, you know, that is hard work, but, you know, that's where a system like this might uh, encourage you to not skip over that step and do something pedestrian like everybody else is doing, but to really think more uh, aggressively about how can you engage your target prospect? What do they want to hear from you? What do they want to learn? What do they need to know? Like their world's changed too. It's not just the world of marketers and salespeople has changed. Everybody's world has changed. So the people you're trying to talk to, it's likely they're looking for new ideas and, and new ways to do their jobs also. And your company has to be the one to, to introduce that to them, to get them excited about wanting to talk to you. So I think there's in each of those four areas, there, there's a whole bunch of nuance associated with creating the assets and the content and the executables that are going to get the attention of your prospect. And again, 
that can all be systematized because if when you create a system, it, it uncovers what's missing. So if you have a campaign and you're going to market and there is no compelling offer, you got to pause and create the compelling offer. And then you have to set some expectations on the performance of that compelling offer. And this is where Eric's technology uh, uh, pillar comes into play. How do you get that data? No one's going to ask you, how's the campaign run? And you're like, oh, great. Okay, good. Keep going. They're going to be like, well, what do you mean? Oh, great. Like, how many people have you attracted? How many people have become sales opportunities? How many of those are the salespeople pursuing? Like, you're going to need that data to inform the rest of your company how your things are, are working, whether you want to analyze it or not. So uh, without the technology piece of it, you'll never know whether the campaigns are working and how to optimize those campaigns, which is another component of the system. How frequently do I optimize it? What does optimization mean? What should I be doing on a regular basis? Like how long should my campaigns run? When is it time to optimize it? We have a lot of clients who after a single month of running a campaign are like, how's it doing? We're like, well, it's just getting started. The, the algorithms don't even kick in until like this time period when it has enough data to really you know, use its AI to, to tell us how to adjust it accordingly. Well, I haven't got anything, any, anything from it yet, so shut it off. Well, if that's going to be your approach, you're never going to get anything from anything because you're not letting the campaign uh, get enough traction to get the data into the tools you have access to to tell you what needs to be adjusted to it and how to make it better. Had you waited another month, you would have had results and data that could inform your decision on how to adjust it going forward. Then you likely would have made an optimization adjustment that would have made it even better in the third month and even better in the fourth month. So uh, the systems to uh, deal with that are critical to kind of working through the complexities that we are all uh, challenged with today. You know, someone might be listening and saying, well, well, how do I put this into play? And I wanna break it down into like 90 day sprint, sorry, 90 day quarterly planning and 30 day sprint planning. Can you give us a little bit of like how a system might engage with those two uh, intervals so that you know what to do at 90 days and you know what to do every 30 days? Yeah, I, I mean, I will caveat my answer by saying like a lot of knowing what to do is based on experience, but the system that that we practice at Square Two that Eric's describing this 90 day strategy cycle and 30 day sprint cycle does give you the mechanisms to have the right conversations and look at the data on a regular basis so that you're at least attempting to do what you need to do to tune it, right? So almost every business we work with changes frequently. And that's where the 90-day strategy session or conversation or checkpoint comes into play. You have to kind of revisit what the company's strategy is, right? What's going on in the market? Are there new competitors? Are there new competitive products? Um, uh, is someone doing something different from a marketing perspective that they weren't doing uh, three months ago? Um, you know, is there anything coming up that we need to be aware of uh, in terms of positioning the company or planning a campaign going forward? You know, like, are, is there regulation coming down? You know, everyone's talking about the recession. How? Do we need messaging that might be geared around someone being more concerned about making a financial commitment over the next couple of months? Like those are the conversations that happen during that 90 day strategy session so that it can inform what you're doing from a campaign and an execution perspective. 
Also, sometimes, honestly, the window of execution is more than three months, right? You may be going to a, a big event five months from now. You know, you have to talk about that and we have to start getting ready for that now. So you can't simply go month, planning month to month without kind of losing the bigger picture associated with what's going on in the business. But after that has been downloaded in terms of what's going on strategically with the business, then you want to start looking at the work associated with the quarter and break it down into three 30-day sprints. And the reason you do that is because it's much easier to manage smaller chunks of work than larger chunks of work. And in addition to managing the work and parsing the work out, you're also going to be using those 30-day sprints to make your next 30-day sprint data-driven, which again is one of the pieces we see missing very frequently when we talk to clients about their programs is they're not using data to make decisions. So if we're planning every 30 days, and we're looking back at the previous 30 days, and we're not just looking back at 30 days because lots of times I'll look at rolling 13-month data. So I can see you know, how, how do we do last September, right? So I wanna see how September did versus August, but I wanna also see how September did versus last September because almost every business has some kind of seasonality to it. Even if it's a like a slowdown in the summer because people take more vacations or maybe at the holidays, they're less focused on business and more focused on personal things. So you wanna be able to look at not only how you did month over month, but how you did last same time period last year. So looking at that data every 30 days and having that 30 day planning cycle gives you the opportunity to take a beat and say, okay, how are we doing? We have, we set up specific metrics that we're tracking. We're running specific tactics. Let's go in and look at those and, and do a bit of an analysis in terms of whether they're, there's three, uh, basically three outcomes we see when we look at programs. They're doing well, you know, as expected or better. They might be doing okay, but not as expected, or they might not be doing well at all, right? And you want to try to figure out which of your tactics are falling into which of those buckets. The ones that are doing well, you might not need to do anything to initially. You might say like, this is running well, let's keep it going. The ones that are doing okay, but not as well as expected, you might want to make an adjustment to, to get it to do better. And, and what I would encourage you there is to make a small adjustment and not multi, a multitude of big adjustments because you're trying to learn. Like we said, the old playbook is broken. The new playbook is, is optimization and using data to learn. Sometimes learning what's not working is even more important than learning what is working because when you learn what's not working, you know not to do it again. So if you make three or four changes and it works, you're not really gonna know what worked. But if you make one change and that produces better results, you know to do that again. And you know if it doesn't produce better results, you know not to do that again. And that's especially good for those programs that are working, but maybe not working as well as you expected them to. The programs that are not working at all, you're going to have those. Again, like don't look at those as failures. Don't let anyone in your company be angry that you tried something that didn't work. Like we said, the old playbook is broken. You're going to have to try new things. If it doesn't work, you have two choices. Scrap it or lean into it a little longer to try to make it work. And again, that's the beauty of those 30-day planning cycles. If another 30 days go by and it's still not working and you're at that same point, you may just decide to be like, you know what, one more month and then it's done. We're gonna take that energy and money and move it somewhere else 
You may decide that after two months, it's long enough. It depends on what you're doing. But the rhythm of having those conversations and looking at your program is going to allow you to make those decisions. And that ongoing optimization is the new playbook. You don't just set something and let it go like you used to, right? Every month we send an email to all of our clients. Don't, doesn't work anymore. We blog three times a week. Doesn't work anymore. We do a webinar once a quarter doesn't work anymore. You have to make adjustments to what you're doing in real time all the time to get the kind of results that I think most people are expecting. Does that help, Eric? Gosh, that was perfectly said, Mike. Nice job. Okay, so let's uh, dig into this a little bit. So we talked about what's required. Eric, who do you think in the company would be um, responsible for building this system? Who, who needs to be included in that process? How would our, our uh, audience start thinking about, yeah, this makes a lot of sense. I want a system for my company. What, who do I need to pull in? What do we need to do? How, how could they start thinking about building this? Well, there's two ways, right? If you're in leadership and you don't have a sales and marketing lead, it falls on leadership to start saying, what do we have to do this quarter or next quarter to start to build out a marketing and sales process, right? So that's that part. But if you're the sales and marketing leader, right, chief revenue officer would be the ultimate person, it falls upon your responsibility to engage in some kind of systematic approach to driving leads and turning them into customers. The challenge is, is that the very few companies, the, the fewest number of companies view sales and marketing combined into one function. And even fewer are chief revenue officers that get to really drive both the sales and marketing functions, which would obviously be the equation for some new revenue. So I think that in, in, in it's leadership. If you don't have someone who's in the seat, who's accountable and responsible for marketing and sales results. And if you do, it's got to be that C-suite or, you know, vice president of revenue generation, chief revenue officer, something like that. I think it's unfair that you only let marketing drive the sales and marketing or revenue generation process and the same with sales because you're never going to get the traction you're looking for unless both sides of that coin are working together and that's why marketing generates leads and sales closes them you got to work together to drive towards revenue goals so whoever in the company is uh, responsible for that they're obviously the first choice but if there's no one responsible that's when it gets a little sticky and leadership doesn't know what to do yeah, I, I, I think this, especially the larger the company, the, the bigger the project this is going to be. But I really feel like this is like a cross-functional team that's, that's going to kind of assess what the company needs from a revenue perspective and then build the system to support that, right? Like you're talking a lot about sales and marketing, but we don't want to neglect the fact that the customer base is a often neglected and highly uh, viable source of revenue, right? How many people have we talked to over the years who are like, yeah, my company, like the, my, my customers, they don't even know that all the things that I do. Like they bought the one or two things that they were interested in. And, you know, we never even got back around to telling them that we could sell them three or four other things or offer three or four other services. Like we hear that literally weekly. So I think by broadening the people who are going to be involved in this, you're going to get better input into what the system looks like, and you'll probably get better traction with the system in terms of uh, uh, usage and rollout and buy-in uh, when people are, are told 
This is how we're going to generate revenue. You're all participating in it. You're, this is your role. This is your role. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. Here's your playbook. Here's your, you know, like this is how we're going to do it. You're, you're all going to be a cog in the wheel here. Honestly, like cog in the wheel is the definition of a system, right? You know, you're going to be a cog in the wheel here. This is your role. This is how you're going to fit in. And all together, this is how we're going to scale revenue. Yeah, I think that's important to bring in lots of views because everybody knows about their lens on the company, and that would certainly contribute to that. You know, on our leadership team, we have a five-person leadership team, and one of those folks is our HR person because people are so critical to our business. She doesn't really understand the nuances of marketing and sales, but she understands enough of what we do that she lends her perspective. And lots of times it's from a people perspective, which the rest of the team doesn't have. And it's invaluable to get that perspective on what we're talking about. So, you know, you're right, Mike, it it has to be a variety. Yeah, that's such a good example, especially if we're talking about, we didn't really talk about people, but people play a role in this system. So, you know, to your point, if one look uh, one of the things that is missing sometimes they don't have the right people mm-hmm. like like we said earlier they might be a great person they might be a cultural fit but they don't have the skills to execute the kind of marketing or the kind of sales or the kind of customer service programs that we were are now talking about they might be the right person in the wrong seat they might need to go to a different seat in the company not getting rid of anybody and then bring someone in who does have the skills and the expertise you know, maybe they built a system before. Maybe they have systems experience in terms of marketing, sales, and customer service. It'd be a better person to, to help you get a system like this into your company. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, there's also a systematic approach to buyer's journey, right? From the first time that someone hears about your company all the way through until they buy something and even after when you cross-sell them and upsell them something. So that's part of it as well. And there's lots of participants in that system. There are salespeople, there's marketing people, there are customer service people, there are um, uh, accounting and financial people for terms and how you buy and credit cards and things like that. All of them should work together in lockstep to create that system of how someone comes through the process of being introduced to your company. So that's another people issue. It you know, is. And I just want to, I just want to drill down on, you know, when you have a system in place and you have good training that comes with it, a much larger group of people can run that system than the secret block, black box VP of marketing who only knows what they know. And that's a big thing because if we got a machine in our manufacturing facility, we could teach people to run it. Maybe they don't get it right away. Maybe they have no experience, but with a system, Step one, step two, step three, they can learn it. However, if we're doing hand craftsmanship of sculptures, that's a one person job that depends only on them and their skill set. And that's the difference between like kind of winging it and having a system. There's a much larger pool of people that can participate in a revenue generation system than there can. And like, don't don't get Tony angry because he won't sell anymore and then we'll be out of luck. Yeah, that's an interesting point. And just to... Uh, elaborate on that a little bit. Systems generally deliver efficiency. So while you're right, there would be less kind of, I guess, fiefdoms and like people kind of protecting their their territory. It would be a more transparent approach to revenue, which I think is the point we're trying to make. But it also should run much more efficiently. Like the this concept of we want to grow sales, hire another sales rep would be completely blown out of the water. Instead, it would be, oh, maybe we could actually do more sales with less reps because they're running a very efficient process using technology, only spending their time with the 
most highly qualified, ready to buy people, as opposed to maybe the people who are still trying to figure it out, maybe they're handled by marketing through uh, content and offers and, and, and maybe a more one-to-one -one yet automated system until they trigger some intent that they are actually really ready for a sales rep to use their valuable time to, to get them. You said this in the beginning, the last couple steps over the finish line to you know, become a client. That, that seems very attractive to me as even a big business owner. Sure. I mean, think about it in terms of football, right? We're in the middle of the football season. Go Eagles. <laughs> you have 11 ego-driven superstars versus 11 average players that are passionate about working together. The team that's working together is going to beat the pants off the superstars every day of the week. And that's a good analogy with, you know, hot shot salespeople versus, hey, we are running this playbook together and we're all going to participate in the success of this program as a sales and marketing or even better, a revenue team. Yeah. Even those people who are just like, you know, bitching all the time, right? You see these guys on TV every weekend, right? They don't get the ball thrown to them. They're upset. They're on the sideline. They're stamping around. Like that team's not going to win too many games, right? You don't have to be a superstar, but when you follow a really good plan and the system that the coach put in place, who obviously has a lot of experience putting in systems that have produced successful winning football teams, you know, you, you follow that system, you're going to be successful. Your, 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 your own stock is going to rise. So well, it's a really, hate, really good well, analogy. I hate to say it, Bill Belichick has gone through waves and waves and waves of athletes always being successful with his system. And yes. that, he figured out a system. No matter who I plug in, it's going to work. Same thing with sales and marketing. If we look at the data, right, in a football analogy would be, let's see our post-game analysis of what we did well, what we didn't do well. There's always going to be new things we could try, right? New campaigns we could try, new football plays we could try. But it's all within the framework of a system. We never go outside of the system. We don't freestyle. We don't, we don't solo like a jazz a, a saxophone player. We keep together in an organized and orchestrated way. The, it'll be unbeatable. And that's why the revenue generation system that we've been kind of talking about, it'll work for every company. It'll have different components, just like every team has different players, but it'll always have the same theme and guardrails from keeping you from straying too far and, you know, blinking red lights on data that'll enable you to sit down and brainstorm what can we do better or different. And I think that that's a competitive advantage at the end of the day for companies that are using a system versus their competitors that are just freestyling. Don't make me tell you how many times the Patriots have won the uh, AFC East. It's like a ridiculous amount of not, not, uh, years. Yeah, you know, you thought that uh, the Patriots would lose when Tom Brady left, but keep going. Yeah. All right, good. Um, let's see. Uh, how about pluses and minuses? Like some people might be uh, following the show and thinking to themselves, is this something I do myself or is this something I might? you know, get some help doing. How would you guide someone around that, that kind of conversation? It depends where you are in the journey. If you're a million dollar company and you can't afford a six person, you know, revenue team, you got to outsource it. So now when you're interviewing your uh, revenue generation agency, AKA marketing firm or sales support firm, your first question is going to be, tell me about your process that you're going to implement at my company. That's going to help me succeed. If they're like, oh no, we just kind of like, we, we do whatever we want every month and, you know, kind of wing it. Well, that's maybe a firm you should run from. 
However, if you're large and you have a six-person team, then it's all about implementation of a system. And that's something you can self-implement. I would think that you would maybe want someone to help you guide it who's done it many times before, train your people, give them the uh, best practices, and then gently push them from the nest. So I think it's where you are in your journey, aka what your budget is at that time. Now, you could also be a larger company that only wants to do their core competency activities, and then you could actually have a larger company that outsources to a firm that can help implement a revenue generation system. But I think that it might also, at the end of the day, be a shared effort that maybe the smart internal people you have can work in lockstep with some consultant where you can implement your own generation, uh, revenue generation system, and then maybe they can step away. Uh, sorry, the consultant can step away a little quicker. But at the end of the day, it really depends on like what your goals and objectives are. I can't tell you how many two or $3 million annual revenue companies say, yep, we want to double our revenue. And then the question is, well, what are you willing to invest? What's your value of doubling your company? Oh, I have $1,000 a month to spend on that. Well, that's a mismatch with what your goals and objectives are and what your actual budget or valuation of this revenue generation system is. So you got to be realistic. It's okay to grow 10 to 15% a year when you're small. Um, but if you systematized your revenue generation, might actually lend to 15 to 20% growth and you can get that internal marketing department a little quicker. Yeah, I think sometimes it has to do with uh, speed. If you're going to do this yourself and you've never done it before, it's going to take you longer. You might get there on your own uh, and, and you might figure it out. But uh, I think if you're in a hurry, like with everything, right, it, it's better to bring in experts who can help you cut the learning curve, share some of their expertise and knowledge with you. You know, oh no, we did this before. Don't do that. Go this way. Kind of like guiding you along the way to not make some mistakes that other companies might have made. You got to value that kind of guidance and expertise. But if you do, you're going to get your system spun up much more quickly than if you than if you try to figure it out on your own. Not not that figuring it out on your own is bad, and you totally could probably do it. Um, but it's going to take longer. You're going to make some mistakes. There's going to be frustrations involved in it. Um, so I think that has to do with your your time horizon, right? Derek's point, if your company is, you know, on the slow road to growth, then, you know, maybe figuring it out on your own is works perfectly good for you. Yeah, but, but if, if, you're thinking, some... if you're thinking, okay, I'm not going to just hire a salesperson, but what can I do on my own to start to build my own uh, system, right? How am I going to attract people consistently, get them into my database, nurture the heck out of them, turn them into sales opportunities? I actually agree with you, Mike. I think that's fine, but you have to think along those lines. You do. Now, as you start to get obsessed with your system, hire someone to help do some of the pieces of that. Maybe not all of it, but hey, you know what? In my specific industry, uh, people like a lot of content so that they could learn about what we say. Okay, well, now that I built my system, instead of writing the content myself, I hire a copywriter. Yeah. I mean, look, you mentioned EOS earlier, like plenty of people buy the book and try to do it themselves. So plenty. I, I know, actually think the majority. Uh, you're probably right. Right. And if that works for you, then there's nothing wrong with that. You're, you found the system, you're implementing the system, you're just going to do it on your own. It's going to take longer. You've never done it before. You're going to figure it out along the way. You're going to make some mistakes. Alternatively, if you hire an EOS implementer who comes in and holds your hand through the entire thing, you're going to get it done in a much faster time frame, and they're going to set you up for uh, success based on their experiences. And you you have to pay for that. So um, I think a lot of this is going to come down to you know where the company is in its life cycle and how comfortable the the people running the company are in in embracing this idea of a system and how quickly they want to get it up and running. 
Yeah, but just to close out this topic, whether it's an internal person or an external agency that you hire, your first question is, tell me about your process that you're going to use to get success. I think that's really important. Just like we'll figure it out or it's an art, not a science. You know, I can't tell you. It's just not acceptable in these times. Agreed. Agreed. Cool. Anything else you want to add before we wrap up? No, I, I think this is like a big topic. I hope you uh, plan that uh, we can revisit this again in even more granular detail in the future. Well, like I said at the beginning, I feel like um, this is the future of revenue generation and, and systematizing this is something that's going to be a hot topic, you know, well into the future. But I know we're planning on uh, addressing it from a content perspective pretty aggressively, you know, in the, in the new year. We will definitely be talking about it again. But I think it's something that everyone will hear from a variety of, of outlets going forward because, you know, we just have to move on. We, we have to move on from what we've been doing. It is not working. And all it's doing is frustrating all the people who are trying to execute it. And worse, it's frustrating all the people you're trying to attract to your business. You just have to move in a different direction. So appreciate the conversation, Eric. Thanks for contributing. Just to remind everybody, if you're interested in the show, go over to square2marketing.com, square2marketing's YouTube channel. Check out the show there. All of our What's Wrong With Revenue shows are posted to the Square2 Marketing YouTube channel. Like us, subscribe to it, and leave us a comment. Leave us comments. We look forward to all that feedback. If you want to check out the show in our new uh, free streaming service platform, Square2 Plus, go to square2marketing.com backslash square2plus. And you can see all the audio and video content in a Netflix style format. It's really the new resources page. Companies should trash their old resources page and go to something like this. So if you're curious, go check it out. And you can subscribe to it just like Netflix. And every time we post something new, you'll get an update. Uh, you'll always be up to date on all the content we're putting on Square2+. Plus. If you love the show, go to What's Wrong With Revenue. There's a link at the bottom of our website. Click on it. You can submit questions. We didn't answer any questions today, but we'll probably get back to questions in an upcoming show. And if you subscribe to the show, we'll tell you what the show is going to be. So while I'm going to tell you what next week's show is going to be, we'll send you an email and remind you. And if you're interested in uh, dropping us a question, you can put it in right there. We'll handle it. And you can also get the show on your calendar. If you want to join us live next Wednesday at four, you know, we'll give you a calendar update. So you won't forget to join us. Really appreciate everybody joining us today. Next week, we're going to talk about it's planning season and you need a new plan to hit revenue goals in 2023. So Eric and I are talking to tons of companies who are setting budgets and trying to figure out what they're going to do next year and figuring out, you know, what do we do in 2023 and how do we hit our revenue goals? So we'll talk a lot about budget planning and, and marketing and sales planning and customer service planning, all the kinds of exercises that people are going through now and through the end of the year. So you can hit January 2023 running instead of like a lot of people, they get to January, they didn't do any planning and they have to start. And before they know it, they're behind the eight ball. So you don't want to be those kind of people. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week. Eric, thanks very much. Have a good rest of your day. See you, see you later. Soon.